0: sisters of Tyree
1: um, I'm gonna take this time to just share some things that you guys may not know about my baby brother um, it's very hard to stand here so bear with me um, Tyree was my baby brother um, him and I are 11 years apart
2: I want to thank everybody for tuning in and joining you in the Law Podcast Show. We're streaming live on Facebook Live. Uh, we are continuing our podcast show uh, from last week um, after the uh, tragic uh, video that was released of uh, Tyrese Nichols, who was uh, killed in Memphis, Tennessee, by five black police officers. Um, so we're we're going to be talking about because you know Thursday, Keith. You know we. The video was released Friday, and uh, there's been a lot of that video uh, caused a lot of emotions, a lot of trauma with a lot of people. Of course, the funeral was yesterday. I was trying to play uh, an audio, a portion of the audio clip from one of the sisters who had a poem uh, that was very. It was it was a poem that really touched everything that this family has has been dealing with since the death of their of their uh of their brother you know a mother lost her son um i'm hoping i can i can get that pulled up because it's that the poem the sister wrote Keith was uh it touched on some things and i don't know if you were able to to hear the sister read that poem but it was very uh very it it was very um it just goes to show you how these five police officers changed this this entire family's life.
0: Well, Virgil, yeah, good evening to the listeners, not just the family's life, but the entire nation, uh, the way the entire nation uh, looks at uh, law enforcement once again uh, as it relates to excessive force. And unfortunately, uh, in the death of uh, this young man and I've started a hashtag. A hashtag, know his name, uh, Tyree Nichols. Uh, each time I put something out, I'm going to continue to put that out until people realize uh, what an amazing young man this was and uh, the fact that he was taken tra- too soon and tragically. And that, you know, one of the things I really did admire about his mom, um, she said that um, she rests, she has some peace knowing that her son's death will not be in vain and that it will bring about change uh, in uh, law enforcement, uh, proactive change in law enforcement. But, you know, man, i tell you, it was uh, Al Sharpton said it best yesterday. I don't think people understand the relationship between a black man and their mother, black men and their mothers. Uh, the fact that that is that sometimes that's the line of hope. Um, That's the difference, that's the line of hope that that, uh, young black men have, uh, the line of strength. Uh, As you said, you know, he was trying to get home to his mom, to places that you, you know, a person that you feel is going to always keep you safe in a place where you always feel safe. So I thought that was really, um, uh, those are some dynamic words uh, that he he put out yesterday as this young man was laid to rest.
2: Yeah, Keith, and you know, I just think it's, you know, for any family, uh, you know, where now it's the Nichols family, before it was the George Ford's family, uh, before it was Breonna Taylor's family, it was, uh, you know, my the young man now. in Aurora. The young man in Aurora. I mean, oh, young, yeah, young man in Aurora. Sandra Bland. Sandra Bland. And, and, you know, I just awesome. saw uh, a video that was released out of California where. Uh, An amputated man, double amputated, who had got into some type of of a uh, physical assault with somebody who he uh, used a knife on. uh, uh, Multiple police officers shot him over 10 times. And this is a double amputee man who a citizen caught on their cell phone uh, on the sidewalk and the police officer shot and killed him. And this man, again, he, he, there, there is, you know, we always talk about the use of the use of less lethal force. Um, and where was that at? You know, and I don't know if you've seen that video Keith, but
0: it's another I disturbing video. Burke, that, Burke, uh, let, me, Burke, let me ask you a question and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, why is it when uh, police chiefs, or the community uh, bring up um, potential excessive force, uh, deadly force that does not appear to be justified. We know Tyree Nichols incident was not justified. We know George Floyd, and that, we know Eric Gardner's. we know this. This is things that we see, we see everything on TV. We see the video, they do studies. We see all the um, discussions about it. But why is it that you have, uh, some law enforcement officers who think that we're wrong because they say that that was excessive force now we're looking at it from and i will i'll tell you man we've both been street officers i've been a street officer i've been a training officer i've been a recruiter i've been a street sergeant on all three shifts been internal affairs sergeant I've been a patrol commander. I've been an investigative commander. Um, I've worked at Vice Narcotics. I mean, I worked in Vice. I worked all that. The, the thing that, that gets me, the thing that bothers me the most, the things that bother me the most is that when you, from our viewpoint, we've seen all the levels. Correct. And so we're able to, from our viewpoint, we can see it from all levels, from that first line all the way up to that um Supervisor Rain, and we come back and we say this was not justified, then you and I are accused of being anti-police. Anti-police. You and I are accused of not caring for our officers. Correct. Now, one time if we ever said that this is not a tough job, now, one time if we ever said that, that the use of force up the deadly force may be justified, every situation is different. But when you have a situation like uh, Tyree Nichols, you have a situation like baltimore james you have a situation um like the young man in california the amputee the double amputee when you have that situation and you say that was unnecessary it's it's sort of like you have just completely disrespected the profession by saying that and i'm wondering what videos or what you know what video are you watching when you say that this is justified what, what i mean when you tell some, when you say that we don't have all the facts. So what facts do you need that Tyree Nichols was beaten to death? What facts do you need? What exactly. facts do you need that the reports were false? The obvious reports were written were completely false. Yeah. What, what facts do you need when they say, I hope they stomp him? What, you know, you're referring to this man, MF. And then at the same other time, you're not providing this man medical attention. Correct. So what what did you, what have you and I said wrong when we say that these, they they were, they were responsible for this man's death? How how does that not, how does that qualify us to not be pro-police? You know, Keith, it's, it's, it's really
2: good you brought that up, brother, because I have been, called as of recently, or being told as of recently, that I'm anti-cop. Uh, and I don't know, and I'm going to ask you this question. Is it because of the messenger? Or is it because, because we're seeing every single, we're seeing the same things through the same lenses. And I'm going to ask you this question, and this is not about, I don't want people who are listening to think that, you know, You try to, oh, here you go, bringing up race. Race in it, is this a potential? We're we're seeing things through the same lens, but are we seeing it
0: through a black lens, and are people seeing it through a white lens? Well, I will tell you, I will tell you this, Virgil. Sometimes you wonder, and and I think I can say this, and, and 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 people understand what I'm saying. I think that there are there's a small group of individuals who believe that we always side with people who look like us. So there's an automatic assumption that because Tyree was African-American, that we're going to automatically side with him no matter what. That's not totally false. It would have been the same thing if Tyree Nichols had been white. It would have been the same thing if Tyree Nichols had been white and those officers had been white. It'd be the same thing. The yeah. fact is this man was murdered. It doesn't matter what he did before. If he did anything before, it doesn't appear he did anything. There doesn't appear to be any justification for the stop. So we got to stop this. Well, you're going to say this. We also have to stop when you decide to, that you're going to have empathy for that family and that you are siding with that bad guy. Yeah. The fact that all the attention must go to the police and I'm a firm believer, I've been in that situation where you have to, you, you, we're there for our people every day, yeah. but but it doesn't mean that you don't have the empathy, the empathy for this family because this family did lose someone. Yes, that officer took, it's the same thing when we lose an officer in the line of duty. You have empathy for that family. You have empathy for the family. you missed, you know, you, you, that's, that's just, that's part of life, you, your empathy. If you're if you're not empathetic, then you have a problem. And I think sometimes we lose that sense of us when we pin on the badge. We lose that sense of empathy. And at the end of the day, when you start saying things like, Well, we don't have all the facts. I don't want to pass judgment. That's that's a problem. As mm-hmm. a police chief, we're to we we're not armchair quarterback in this situation. It's not like we were just going through picking up a video, just just randomly. Looking at video and saw this this was brought to the attention of the nation yeah this was all the facts were brought to the attention of the nation and then we do have a right to say this is wrong this is right I mean this is wrong this is why this is wrong this is going to tarnish the badge it, no matter what even though you had five officers it does point it does tarnish the entire profession but it but it does get frustrating when every time you look up law enforcement officers antagonize chiefs because they have a human side and because we're able to say yet yeah, something different could have could have could have taken place yeah, yeah. so they could have handled that a lot differently What's you know what's wrong with that it, it, it's it's a known fact Virgil that in law enforcement we do spend more time in the academy teaching our officers to shoot than we do de-escalation tactics. Yeah, you know, it's good you it's bring fact. that up. Yeah, it's facts. It's that's facts. Fact. That's not a, yep. that's not, I mean, as a police chief, I've, I've signed off on ammunition budgets. You know, I, I looked at the curriculum for the entire academy. And, and we do spend more time uh, teaching officers about weapon retention and things like that. We do that. We don't, um, we do not, we need to do a better job of enhancing de-escalation, uh, CIT training, crisis intervention training, uh, um, cultural culture diversity training, cultural sensitivity training based on uh, ethnicity, gender, um, religious beliefs, uh, uh, sexual orientation. We do need more training of that nature. We yeah. do. So, so that's just fact.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, Keith and, and it's good you brought that up. I mean you brought up two two things that I was gonna bring up. Uh, because, you know, being accused of, of of not of being anti-cop when you're a cop. And then also, um yeah, I, I've made a comment on on uh social media recently uh about what took place in Memphis uh with the with the murder of uh Tyreke Nichols. Well, I stated that we spend and just as you stated, we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on our budgets on buying bullets. We spend hundreds and hundreds of hours on the range, teaching officers how to shoot, how to shoot to kill a person. Um, no, 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 no. Well, well, I'm not but just shoot to shoot eliminate to the threat. Shoot, shoot, yes. to el- eliminate the threat. Right. Um and, but we do not spend the same amount of money to train officers on how to deal with people with mental health illness, how to deal with people with uh, just basically how to talk to people. Uh, all, all of that's out. And, and, I, and I stated that if you are one of those officers who you're not a good person to, sh- to shoot a weapon, you're going to kind of be isolated from the other group. And then you've got a, a, a firearms instructor who is is in your ear about dry firing, trigger pull, all these basic things. And, and now, if you don't successively pass that, you can be terminated. When but... You go- but, Keith, hold on a second. But yeah. you will not be terminated because you didn't get the the additional hours of mental health training or you didn't. You won't be terminated for uh, taking some type of sensitivity class, but you'll get term. But we will terminate you for not getting that 70 percent or some agencies even higher than 70 percent.
0: Well, what so, what
2: is but but people get offended by that, Keith, because it's like, well, now you're you're, you're you don't sound like a cop. But we got to look at where the things that we've been doing, Keith, over the last decades and decades, they have not worked. They've actually gotten worse. But how do you? And this is to me is also a part
0: of police reform. So let me ask, let me ask you this, Virgil. Uh, and hey, Myrna. Hey, Pam. How y'all doing? Uh Yeah, you know,
2: Myrna. She makes a, a point about the, you know, Myrna. I, I make this comment, Myrna, that God, believe me, God has a way of doing things. What was the chances of Tyree Nichols running into that neighborhood where there was a a sky pole camera on that? Keep that. Just I mean, they're they're placed strategically throughout the city, as you know. But, but that was th- there was something that, that God said, you're gonna run this way. And it, it just so happened it ended right there. It didn't end up the street, farther down. It just seemed if that if that had not happened there, this would be a whole totally different conversation.
0: Well it would be a whole I think you would I think you wouldn't yeah, you wouldn't have gotten the full story. Um uh, let, let me just, we wouldn't say got- this, just to let you know to the listeners how much I believe these officers were zoned in on the attack of this young man. If you're not familiar with these pole cameras, they have a a bright blue light. You know it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so even during the day, you can see the light. So to me, they were so focused on their, their, their adrenaline, their adrenaline, they were adrenaline driven toward the task of, beating this man and humiliating this man that they really and truly, I really believe they didn't realize that camera was there until later.
2: Somebody I, one of them pointed their oh, flashlight up to the camera.
0: After. after Afterward, yeah. Afterwards. After yeah. the damage had been done. Yeah. Let me let me let me say this, man. Um so when I went through the police academy back in eighty eight, we, we had a We had a firearms instructor who had never been on this. He was a sergeant and he had probably been on the street of his 20 some years on the street. Well, his 15 years on the street at that time, he had probably been on the street as a patrol officer, probably like six months, maybe a year. But he was an amazing marksman. And when I got into law enforcement, that's what it was all about. You know, it was that deal where and I'm so glad now police departments have gone to more of a unified gun base so you're going to carry glocks you're going to carry sig you're going to carry uh smith and wesson you're going to carry ready everybody carries the same same weapon so i'm so glad because i came through the era where you yeah, had some people carrying revolvers some carrying semi-automatics yeah. some carrying 45 automatic nine millimeters but but you but you had a guy that that's all he talked about you took you took almost a month of firearms so the academy at that time was 20 weeks long mm-hmm but you took 160 hours of of, of, firearms training. of firearms training. Okay. You took two hours of, there really wasn't anything that dealt with mental illness. It was basically dealing with how do you do an emergency detention on someone? And that was really new back then. Yeah. So nobody really was, uh, excelled in that area, but 160 mm-hmm. hours. Uh, that's a month worth of training eight hours no a day five days a week, that's all you Mm -hmm. did, train, retention, shooting, dry firing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so he had had built people up to think that that was the only way that you could survive out here on the street, that you had to be able to shoot, not de-escalate, not conversation, not, you know, uh, less lethal. It was basically you shoot, and he made a comment that you shoot to kill. It wasn't shoot to stop back then, it was shoot to kill. Well, and and that's... yeah, you know, that you know, I I did. We I heard, me, we heard me, that. Let me, yeah, yeah, let me let me finish this. Not to cut y'all. Let me just finish because I want to get this out. But basically, now you, you now you you now you've done that, and then once you graduate, once you graduated the academy at that point, you went through what was called the two weeks of officer survival school. And in officer survival school, every scenario was based on either an officer getting shot or killed. Or a suspect getting shot or killed. There was no way around it. Somebody mm-hmm. was going to get shot or killed. So now, you take these young rookies and you put them out there, and you go through this and <laughs> you pump them up. And this is this is what you're going to face on a daily basis. Yeah. Now you got to throw a little bit of ingredient in there about this housing project over here. You're probably going to end up killing somebody over here. Now you take rookies and you put them out there, mm-hmm. and you tell them go, be go go out and save the city. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what we're still trying to overcome. I'm not saying that's the, that's the, that's happening every day. I'm not saying, but I will tell you that is the way that law enforcement used to train on a regular basis. It was about using you get them before you get, before they get you carried by tried by 12 instead of carried by six. That was, I'm going home every day. Yeah. Some people understand that you and i understand what that means some people can't you know they can't they can't maneuver their way through that that's a last resort yeah <laughs> they can't yeah. We look at that that's the first resort yeah. but but you know virgil just going back you know let, let's 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 talk about this this well you you had something to say that I'm gonna we're going to talk about this specialized unit okay hey well
2: Keith, before we go any further I just want to remind those who are just now tuning into the podcast show that tonight's topic is uh how police brutality gets made and uh it, it, where does that come from and and so throughout the the podcast we're going to be talking about what does that uh brutality come from within these officers of what, of what we uh what we saw in the recent uh 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 Death of uh, Tyreek Nichols in in Memphis. Uh, But but before I go on, Keith, I I got a video I want to play that uh, is going to kind of segue into to the uh, how police brutality gets made.
3: Has delayed the funeral for Tyree Nichols, his family will now lay him to rest later this afternoon. The 29-year-old's death shocking the nation after the release of that video showing Memphis police officers violently beating him during a traffic stop. Five former officers are facing second-degree murder charges and this morning we're learning more about two of them. We do need to warn you though, the story does contain disturbing video. ABC's Justin Finch is in Memphis. Heavy hearts in Memphis for the final farewell of Tyree Nichols. My brother was the most peaceful person I ever yeah. met in my life. As Nichols' loved ones grieve, the disciplinary backgrounds of some of the five fire police officers charged in his murder are coming into focus. The Memphis Police Department releasing administrative HR files of those former officers seen on video beating Nichols on January 7th. Give us the hands! Four of the five have records with suspensions or written reprimands, but none was previously found to have used excessive force. Demetrius Haley and Desmond Mills Jr. failed to file a, quote, response to resistance form after using physical force during arrest in 2021 and 2019. Justin Smith suspended for two days without pay in order to remedial driving training for striking a vehicle, causing it to spin out and strike another. Emmett Martin III written up previously for failing to report a domestic violence case as required by law and not inspecting his squad car after a handgun was found on the rear floorboard. And to Darius Bean with no infractions filed on his records. ABC News obtaining an initial incident report from Nichols arrest and finding stark inconsistencies between it and footage from police body cams and a surveillance camera. Among the biggest, the report does not mention Nichols being punched and kicked by several officers. And the state attorney not ruling out more officers could be held criminally liable as investigations here unfold. Justin Finch, ABC News, Memphis. We'll be streaming that funeral live on all of our digital platforms today, including WHAS 11 Plus, our Roku app, and Fire TV. That'll begin today at 2 o'clock Eastern Time.
2: You know, Keith, and, and as we talk about how early police... Early intervention. Talking,
0: early intervention.
2: Yeah, early event. It, warning, it, it, signs, it, warning signs. Warning it, signs. And again, you had a lot of warning signs, just like you did with, with uh, Shelvin. Uh, with the Minneapolis Police Department. He had a lot of things that, that a lot of supervisors knew, uh, probably even those above the level in the command staff, but nothing was done. And so you know when you you know when you talk about how police brutality gets made, it gets made because of the lack of oversight that's supposed to be there. But it's not followed through. And this is another clear example of where out of the five, only one officer did not have any type of disciplinary actions, And I believe he was fairly new to the department, maybe
0: just a little over two years. So, so, Virgil, let me let me say this. Man. Uh, how does how does police brutality get made? It gets made by someone who's lost their soul someone who has, uh, who thinks that they are, um, above the badge gives them courage. Uh, the badge gives them uh, a level of, um, uh, being invincible, uh, that we're going to, you know, that, Hey, this guy is out here doing something wrong. And yeah, I'm really saving. I'm really saving this community from this bad guy because he's out Mm -hmm. here doing something wrong. But because he's doing something wrong and he has a criminal history, he's not human. So I'm going to dehumanize him and nobody's going to blame me for it. Well, you probably that could have been done previously, but things have changed. So that that stuff that you saw to the listeners, the things that you saw in the report, Regarding, they fear for their safety. He was grabbing for the gun. He was grabbing for the taser. That is, those are things that, are, that that certain field training officers and that teach their. Hey, if you if you document a report like this, this will cover you. Yeah, for yeah. You have to be able to articulate. So so the articulation rises to the articulation that we're talking about is put my hand, put his hand on my gun. He's trying to grab my gun. He's trying to do this, he's trying to do that. And as you all saw, none of that occurred. Now, people can say whatever they want to, you know, whatever. There was nothing that this man did that justified, even if he had done something, even if there had been probable cause or reasonable. It wouldn't have justified that. Uh, It would not have justified the beating that he received. But it comes down to the fact of these officers felt um, that they had the right to do that. And we talk about these specialized units. I've developed specialized units and I have dissolved specialized units <clears throat> based on the fact of the need for it and not having the need for it. Right. Uh, I just landed a SWAT team and when I was in Lancaster because you had five officers that made up a SWAT team. Well, and they were and they were training when they felt like training. So there was no consistent training as far as weekly, monthly training. There was no consistent attending outside training and things like that, training with weapons, training with other tactics, there was nothing. So I felt in the, for the best interest of that community and that department and for the safety of the community and the officers, we disbanded. And we did a mutual aid agreement with a local agency to do our, 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 um, our SWAT uh, call outs. Um, I've started street crimes units. And the main thing was that I made it very clear that you had to have the right supervision. You had to have the policies addressing that unit. They, they couldn't have a different mission or vision than the department. You had to have the right supervisors. And that meant the upper command supervisors, <laughs> mid-level, first line. You had to have the right ones supervising those. And each one of those yeah, people in that unit, male or female, black, white, didn't matter had to be individually interviewed. So it wasn't one of those where we just grab people and say, you look like you'll be a part. You need to look at their, uh, 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 you need to look at their files, type of supervisors, sit down and look at their disciplinary histories when you interview these individuals so you would have questions. And then you made a decision based on overall, not just this guy's a go-getter, this girl's a go-getter. yeah. You have to do that. You you have to do that. You cannot just put people in units. You can't just put people in narcotics. You just can't put people in street crimes units and SWAT teams. You can't just put people in detectives positions. People have to interview. There has to be a process so you can determine if this person is the right fit. And then even to determine if this person is the right fit, you have to come back some time to determine if this person still needs to be a part of as capable of being part of this unit. It's not a lifetime. These units should not be a lifetime assignment. So that's what happens when you put people in units because number one, they, they, you know, they've wrecked cars. And so, you know, they'll chase people or man, they've been in this many, they had this many use of force reports, man, you know, they'll defend you. They've been in this many shootouts where you know, they'll shoot or, Hey man, you know, man, he, you know, these people respect him because they know he'll slap them or he'll grab them. You can't put people in units like this because a lot of times you're giving these officers the assignments and they're not going to be directly supervised. So you got to make sure you have the right people in right so that they can, they know right and wrong. You you have to, and the main part of all that, man, they have to have the right mental, mental, being the right mental state to do this. Yeah.
2: Well, hey, Keith, uh, I want to remind everybody, if you're just now tuning into the podcast show, tonight's topic is, uh, how police brutality gets made. Uh, where this is a, a follow up, uh, from the incident that took place in Memphis where Tyreek Nichols was killed by five black police officers. And Keith, you know, and as we talk about, you know, how these officers are, get assigned to these specialized units, uh, a couple of things I want to bring up. Uh, one is that these officers were the selection process. It sounds like there wasn't a lot put into it. Uh, they really hadn't been on the street with the Memphis police department very long. The second thing I want to bring up is something that we've talked about in the past on the podcast show is education. The Memphis police department, uh, has, uh, previously they have, uh, uh reduce their college requirements. So you don't have to have an associate's degree or you don't have to have a bachelor's degree. Uh, And a lot of agencies, because there's a struggle to recruit people, that has, um, you've seen uh, agencies hire people who typically they wouldn't have hired because of the education requirements. I don't believe any of these guys had any type of degrees because it's stated that in some, some of did. some of them, some of, some I of them, I think some, some of them, them didn't. Assume, yeah, they did. Yeah. Some of them, some did and some didn't. And, and also Keith, I want to throw this in there uh, to you and to those who are listening, the Memphis, the city of Memphis, as we know, is predominantly, you know, an African-American city, kind of like Atlanta. The police department is primarily uh, made up of black police officers. Uh, And I think the second uh, uh, is our Latino officers. So I I think I pulled up something that was about 65 percent African-American. And I'm going to ask you this, Keith. Does this have anything to do with. The the makeup of the the department and how historically things have been with with this agency Uh, and the fact that crime is crime has always been bad. Uh, Here we are. we, We really, you know, we're we can't, you know, hey, let's just hire these guys and let's let's get them in and let's train them. Does any of that really play into what we saw these five officers do? Because you got to ask yourself, what? How do you get that angry at a person that you supposedly pulled over from a traffic stop? And and I got to go back to something, Keith. I don't know if you noticed this. If this was a traffic stop, they were all in unmarked cars, but one of the unmarked cars was
0: actually pulled in front of his vehicle at the that's, intersection. See, that's the thing I'm talking about, Virgil. It comes back to tactics. That's tactic. That's just one of many things that were wrong with this whole situation.
2: And, 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 and nobody's really that's talking tactics. about that because it's like, why? If you are, if this guy was weaving in and out of traffic as you supposedly said he said he was, why is one of the units parked in front of him to block him from going anywhere? And and there again, Keith, these guys are in unmarked cars. So there's a lot of people running around with fake who are, are pretending to be the police. So you don't know. And I think, you know, I think somebody alluded, made a comment earlier that, well, I think, you know, Pam said that uh, doing Al Sharpton's uh, eulogy said that we have to be afraid of the cops
0: and the robbers. How do you how do you know? Well, let me let me say let me let me say this, you know, you you ask a question about education and I I came from a department that required a four year degree. Um, And that worked for me. And for many years, I really thought that there was only one way to do that, that you had to have a four year degree. But then you got the if that's the case, I think it gets down to are you saying because you don't have a four year degree, I'm not at the same level or I'm not on the same level as someone with a degree. So this is a profession that I do not believe you have to have a degree. After many years of thinking that, and then becoming, a, then after becoming a chief and seeing some of the some of the amazing officers that come through law enforcement that don't have a degree, or they're working on their degrees, whether they're working on them or uh, you know they have them, they're working on them, or they get them later in life. I, I have a lot of respect for that. That had nothing to do with this, Virgil. This had to do with power. It had this had to do with anger. This was personal. And no matter what the rumors out there, whatever it was about the man's personal life, but this was personal. It was as if they were so mad at this person that they could, they were mad at something or someone, and they could not get to that person they were upset with. So this man happened to be the target. He happened to be, it's like they took so much frustration, years and years of frustration out on this person. That's why you can't make me believe that there was not a connection there somewhere. Something, something had to have happened because there was so much anger. I mean, to the point, these guys were, even after a guy, a guy who got sprayed with mace and he was incapacitated, he, he took the time to rinse his eyes, wash his face, get back in the car, and then go and back go down to the scene and inflict pain. That, that in itself, man, is uh, that's sociopathic. That's really right there, is psychopathic. Um, when you zone out like that and you're doing that, that is a sign of a person who has no. Well, no respect for anyone's safety, life or whatever. It wouldn't have mattered. I don't think it would have mattered if those guys would have had a four year degree from Harvard. I don't think it would have mattered if they were PhD. That's an individual thing, man. Yeah, well, the, King, only uh, that, the only way that that would not have happened Virgil with those guys uh-huh. If they had not been working at the Memphis Police Department At that time That's the only way those guys would not have been Involved in that situation mm-hmm. You would have had to remove They would have had to have been off duty at that time Okay mm-hmm. Or not working for the Memphis Police Department At all at that time That That's the only way that would have been happening That was going to happen eventually To somebody well, well, let me let me say, uh, is it is it Myra? Uh, she on,
2: makes a on. Myrna. She makes a comment, and I think this is there's some some truth behind this here. Time will reveal that there is more to this situation than what we know. There's, there's even, more to it, man. There there is more to one of these. I mean, there's been. I don't want to. I'm not going to say what, what, you know, what has been put out on other social media platforms. There has been some other information that's been put out there and we don't know. We'll see if that information comes out to be truthful or not. But there has to be some other connection with one of the five to Tyreek Nichols. There has to be something, and and, and like you said, man, I And I, let me ask you this question: First of all, you're saying you're you're supposed to be on this special detail. Why did you target that one car? Why didn't you target another car? So okay. there, there, there. You know, I don't want to get into speculation, but this, this, that you have to be have an open mind to say there was something about Tyreek Nichols that one of these guys. There, there was something there, and I think, hopefully, if if nothing comes out of it, maybe it doesn't. But I think there are some other things that's going to come out over a period of time.
0: Well, well, Virgil, of course it it, it was personal because Virgil, how many foot chases have you, car pursuits, foot chases have you been involved where you just have to let the person go? I'm a lot. And <laughs> when I was a supervisor, I would tell them, "We got the car, we got the name." Yeah, but, yeah. 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 I mean that, that's just that's just, you know, it was let the guy go, you got the car. Now, the other part of this that people are forgetting not talking about, we're finding that there was a supervisor on scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was over this this I don't know so, if he was <laughs> unit. So yeah. well, this this gentleman has put in his papers to retire. Because he knows he knows what's gonna happen he was standing there when that was occurring Mm -hmm. or he never intervened as a supervisor Mm -hmm. yeah he could be held at a higher level of liability or culpability than those other guys yeah because as a supervisor man as a first line i've always told and that's one of the things i think we talked about last week i've always told my guys when i was a supervisor especially first line supervisor if you get involved in a foot chase or carpet chase I'm going to be there because I know how adrenaline gets to flowing. I know how people get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. I know how people get angry and the emotions and, and take over. And, and I've, I've seen that. And so, as a supervisor, when your officers, when you know your officers are in a, uh, a, a volatile, I don't like to say volatile, but in a situation that could rise to the level of urgency, a pursuit, foot pursuit, person with a weapon. As a supervisor, you have a responsibility and obligation to go to that scene, yeah, to ensure that things are put in that things are (laughs) run. (laughs) So, so when you and I I used I used to tell officers all the time, you know, you looked at these officers' history. Some of the history was not doing a domestic violence report. Okay, let me let me tell you why that says a lot. Yeah, let me tell you why people don't do domestic violence report because number one. This is not all officers. I'm, all, I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna throw a blanket over all officers. Let me just say this. It happens because it's not exciting enough. If I if I take 15 to 20 to 25 minutes to do this report, I'm missing some of the action out here. Yeah. And well, and they are they're, they're, they're saying that they're not gonna do anything. So I'm gonna take their word, and they don't do a report. Mm-hmm. And 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 I would really be interested to see what these guys' uh, early intervention looks like. And for you all out here that are listening, early intervention, early intervention programs inside the departments, where there are after so many notifications of use of force, of missing work, or car pursuits, or uh, other in, infractions, um, the supervisors <laughs> notified. And that supervisor is obligated to meet with that officer just to kind of talk with them to see what's going. It may not be anything. It may not be anything bad, but just kind of get to know their officers to see what's actually going on. Yeah, it is the most underutilized tool in law enforcement and police departments will tell you that they have that program. But when you sit down with them, there is a debate on, well, what goes into the system? Well, how many is too many? There's no consistency, and so there is it is easy for an officer to fly under the radar. There, yeah. there, are, there's there's an there is an opportunity for an officer to fly under the radar.
2: Yeah, well, hey, Keith, I want to get to one of the comments in the chat uh, where Pam says, uh, and I don't know uh, Pam if this is correct. I know the white officer who tased him. I don't believe he's been fired. I believe he was placed on administrative leave. Right. i could be wrong for that uh keith i, I think that is correct right? i think that, was,
0: yeah i think in, uh, yeah. and uh yeah, yeah they got more but officers
2: that they placed on leave. yeah and then you've got the the three uh memphis fire department personnel
0: who were who were uh, relieved of duty which i believe they were they were terminated they were terminated so, yeah. so, so so let me say chanel asked a question she has a good question she said so it's safe to say that although the chief acted and terminated them but was well aware of their behavior before now and covered it up? Absolutely not. Um, because someone receives days off does not mean that they're not eligible to go to other units. And you have to understand, when you have the chief, the chief's, you know, chief is responsible for everything that goes on in the organization, absolutely. But the chief doesn't know what everybody's personnel file looks like. The chief doesn't know that the chief doesn't make every decision when it comes to putting people in units and things like that. Not, 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 not when it comes to your line level. So no, it doesn't mean that, that, that they covered anything up. Um, And you have to understand too, um, a lot of this stuff isn't releasable. Um, Yeah. It's 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 not releasable based on state laws and things like that, but no, by no means knowing CJ Davis, no, no way CJ would have, uh, would have allowed anybody to be in that unit that she didn't think. I guarantee you that it was based on you give me the good guys, uh, that you give me some people that, that can make this happen. Because the main focus of that unit what? was violent crimes. Violent oh, crimes. Crime.
2: Well, you also got to remember, Keith, I mean, CJ hadn't, she's only been in Memphis, what, two years, maybe? Two years. Three, yeah. So, so, she's, yeah, so she's still learning. The, the department and, and, and the command staff that she has. And, and a lot of those all of those people have been there well before uh, she got there. So she's re- really relying upon their expertise and their information about these officers, who's good, who's bad, or, or you know, however that is evaluated. So they're, they're you know, you really just can't pull it up, put it off on the chief. Right. But I will say this for you, you and I both know this. Is that if you got some people in your command staff that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and you gotta and you gotta make some some decisions, those are the things that you look at. And I think you know Memphis is a very large police department that you got to look at to see do you have the right people in there, and should you put some other people in there, because this is going to be a fallout from you've already got a supervisor who is going to take this early retirement. And I think there's going to be some other people who were, um, I want to say, really implicit. They didn't really. They probably knew some things, but just probably ignored it because, there again, the culture. You got to just look at the the deep culture of an agency like Memphis, and I'm not. Memphis is a has you know, the first 48, all police,
0: department, all police departments,
2: yeah, man. all of them. But, you know, mm-hmm. Memphis has always been out, been out because of the first 48. And you go back to, uh, to Armstrong, when he was a part of the, the, the detective division, then he became the, uh, the police chief. So uh, it's been, in, they've been in the news a lot, as well as just with the crime. So uh, I think Pam has got a comment. She said, if the prosecutor can prove intent, it's likely the officers will be uh, charged with first degree murder. I don't, you know, I think that's going to be a hard deal
0: to because on laws. Well, that's why they didn't do first. That's why didn't because, because they could not prove the intent or the, the intent premeditated. Yeah. So that's why they went yeah. with second degree. That was the that yeah. was the safest charge to the highest yeah. charge that they could that they could they prove. Could, it's going to yeah. be very difficult to prove intent. Yeah. Hey, hey, Keith. I got
2: something I want to show because it's, it goes to what we're actually talking about with with supervisors.
0: This police sergeant on the run, trying to keep away from our cameras as he bonded out of the Broward County Jail. That officer was arrested for this
3: video here that made headlines, showing him grabbing a female officer by the throat.
1: Local 10's Christian De La Rosa was there when he walked out of jail and joins us live with the details, Christian. This investigation took eight months, and you might remember it wasn't until after we exposed this case that this sergeant went from desk duty to being suspended with pay. Fast forward to today, his arrest, but he still has his job. He's a cop, bonding out of jail and running away from our cameras. He is Sergeant Christopher Police, a 21-year-old veteran of the Sunrise Police Department. This is his mugshot. And this is he grabbing a fellow officer, a woman, by the throat. This police body camera footage is from November 2021. On my leg. Sunrise police officers were responding to the scene of a fight. The man they put in handcuffs was being uncooperative and threatening. If I open fire, one, and The video shows officers struggling to put their suspect, John Similian, in the back of a unit. It's when Sergeant Police comes in. He's seen reportedly pointing pepper spray at the suspect and is heard making threats. You want to play? F- you ever get
3: disrespectful my f- officers? soul f- from your f-
1: body. The woman officer moves in, grabbing the sergeant by his belt and pulling him back before he goes for her neck. The- Police briefly walks away but comes back saying this. Everybody turn off their f- cameras. Arresting documents we obtained show he's now charged with battery on law enforcement, tampering with evidence, assault on a law enforcement officer, and assault. The Sunrise Police Department sending us this statement, seen in part. Further determination with regards to the employment of sergeant police will be made in accordance with Florida state statute, due process, and the collective bargaining agreement. The officer that was grabbed by the throat, she has not been identified.
2: Live in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Christian De La Rosa. You know, Keith, I wanted to show that video because here's a sergeant. What's really disturbing is the fact that he walks away, he walks back, and he tells everybody to turn off their body cameras, and and that's exactly what everybody did. The only female who grabbed him and tried to pull him away as she knew she was doing the right thing, but nobody stepped up to her defense. And then when he tells them, which violates their policy, turn off your body cameras. The first female officer you see, that's what she reached up. So there is the power and control that these supervisors have over these officers to where if you don't do, if I don't do what my sergeant says, then I mean, he,
0: I, I'm going to be out of here or I'm going to have some problems. Well, he's a bully. Uh, there's no doubt. That's not a first time. He's a bully. Uh, I guarantee those officers were afraid of him. Uh, but she basically said, Hey, you know, this isn't right. And she gets assaulted because she's trying to do the right thing. And he goes completely off. Now I will tell you right now, that may have been one of those situations where it'd be on site. You know what on site is <laughs> on, on site mean we 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 finna we finna roll. <laughs> I don't know if I could have because
2: I mean because man he basically he choked her. He choked her. He 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 choked her. But what was disturbing is the fact that none of the officers came to aid her. They did
0: not. They did not. They did not do that. And and man this dude this dude's yelling and screaming and I mean he can't. So that that comes down to just go back to let's just go back to the, to the nipples. the nickel situation yeah to the listeners that's how easy it is for somebody to get out of control that's wearing a gun and a badge yeah if they have other issues going on and and keith he was not he
2: arrived after the sus the subject had been handcuffed put in the the back control they had it under control but he used his aggression he was already angry when he when he drove up there angry when he got out the car. Anger when he approached the car. And then for him to say he was going to rip the, his soul out of his, his, you know, I can't use you're that word. Yeah, I'm I'm a rip word. out of your
0: body. Something you're, like that. You're probably saying it very appropriate. Very appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, that's, but there, that's, that goes back to take that and then understand how this what happened, happened in, in Memphis. these situations happen based on individuals and i've always said it i wish we did have a test that could reveal everybody with this you know if ironies there are things that show up pre-employment there are things that show up early past you know after employment but there are those that get you know there are those that get and and that's why i said please don't be surprised that these individuals that committed this offense were african-americans Don't be
2: surprised. Well, you know, Keith, I think, yeah. I think that's what people say. Yeah. Well, and it's not, and like I said, Keith, you know, uh, there was a video, you know, on a previous podcast that I showed. I think I showed this video where a Memphis sergeant, I mean, a Atlanta sergeant had kicked a black female in the face who was already handcuffed. It was not caught on a body camera as a citizen some distance away caught this. And eventually he was, he was terminated and he was fired. But this, the thing, what was most disturbing about that Keith was there was a black female officer standing right by him. And she saw her sergeant kick another woman in the face and she didn't do a single thing. And I've asked this question, We need to have a very serious conversation in the black community about black police officers. We always talk about when a white officer kills somebody, we've got some good black police officers, we've got some good white police officers just as well as Latino, but you've got some black cops who you would sit there and think, oh, they would never do that. What happened in Memphis happens Mm -hmm. in a whole lot of other police departments that are pre- predominantly black. And I worked in a city in Arkansas and they had a unit that the community, that the citizens labeled as the jump out boys. And the stories that I heard about how this unit treated black people, it, it I, it was, I'm just like, how it how is it that nobody was really charged with the crime? No comment. <laughs> so, Keith, we got another comment, uh, you know, from uh, in the chat room that says, because the behavior expressed is what he has done for many years, a complete bully. She was following the guidelines and the oath that she has taken as a
0: as a peace officer. Um, we got I'll let you read the comment from Chanel. Well, she said a lot just like a lot of bullying goes on within police departments uh, there is internal and external bullying uh, that goes on uh, in, in law enforcement. Uh, and, 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 you know, we you know, we always I want to always put this disclaimer out right here. We're not talking about the majority of law enforcement. No. by no means are we talking about the majority. We're talking about a small percentage that causes us to have to talk about these topics. And that's what upsets me when I hear people. You can basically say we're not talking about everybody, but there's this. Believe that you can't even talk you're, about bad guys because now you're anti-police. You're anti-police. That's not, that's not the yeah. that's not the case. So
2: yeah. Well, um, and, and Keith, again, you know, just like I asked you the question at the beginning of the podcast, man, is it because of you've got people who are of this race are saying that how dare you say something about uh, about police officers well, and Because then now, all of a sudden, you're labeled as being anti-cop when we talk about, hey, we're spending too much money on this. We should be doing this. Or, hey, now you guys are are saying that these officers are guilty before they were even, you know, charged with something. We're not saying none of that. The video speaks for itself,
0: Keith. All the videos. When you have the mindset that everybody's against you and that you have to stick together no matter what, that, that in itself can be a problem.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, hey, Keith, man, we're coming up on the last uh, minutes of the, of the podcast show. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and and joining another informative topic on, on you and the law podcast show. Brothers is always is always good to to get with you and uh, to talk with our uh, our listeners, man, and, and and have these informative conversations.
0: Yeah, and before we go, Bird, I'd like to send a prayer out to the city of Memphis. They had an officer critically injured. I haven't yeah. an Extremely critical condition earlier from being shot. So, yeah, I want to reach out to them. But I just want to say this just really quickly too. I want everybody, and, I, and I've said this before, I want everybody to find out what's actually going on within your police department, and and base your opinions based on after you sit down with the police chief or whomever and talk to them. I hope we give you. Questions you can answer. But don't lump every police officer in the nation in with the few that do the things like what happened here in Memphis or what happened in the Florida and things like that. You have hardworking men, women of various ethnicities, gender, socioeconomic, came from social, different levels of socioeconomic, um, various levels of, of um, religious backgrounds, and so forth that do this job because they want to do the right